Recorded live. Hey, this is Mike. And now it's again, it's old religion dystopia. Knowing versus belief, and it's still allegedly May the 22nd, 2017. And being the hermit that I am, I am going to do another recording. Uh, I'm going to be adding a drawing that I did that I found from somebody that's becoming well-known in the Bigfoot world outside, out, out, out west. Um, I've been uh, finding images in these giant tree structures. And, um, well, what can one say except that there seems to be something amiss, awry, and everything. I'm not saying that the image that I'm going to be sharing with you is Bigfoot. I don't know. Anyways, this comes from uh, com. Bigfoot walks. Unexplained America, strange and unsolved mysteries, America's haunted past. Where Bigfoot walks, America's monsters among us, truth or legend? I'm not saying anything is... is I can't validate any of this, but I'm going to read it anyways. There is no greater mystery in the annuals of the unexplained in America than Sasquatch, the creature most commonly known as Bigfoot. Reports of giant man and ape-like monsters have been documented all over the country, although primarily in the forest regions of the Pacific Northwest, which is not true anymore. You'll find them... Booker's down south in Ohio. You got the Ohio Grassmen. You got there in Oklahoma. You got their things. They're everywhere. There are many tales of giant hairy figures that every state in America, and every uh, every state and every state in America, although. The traditional Bigfoot is believed to be to, to roam the vast regions of California, Oregon, and Washington, Idaho, and western edges of California or Canada. The narrative that follows will include history and lore from a, a variety of locations. Although most mainstream scientists maintain that no such creature exists, the Short of an actual specimen, their minds will not be changed. Let's see if we expand this. Does it help at all? <clears throat> their minds will not be changed. It, it is not inconceivable that undiscovered creatures could be roaming this wide region of mountains and forests. There are areas here that have been almost completely untouched by men and where few signs of modern moral can be found. Even today, if we Combine these often unexplored areas with the hundreds of eyewitnesses, which you should probably say thousands, of eyewitnesses, accounts, and pieces of evidence left behind, then we have no choice but uh, to at least consider the idea that these creatures may actually be real. Of course, the reader is asked to judge for himself, as always, but let's consider the history of Bigfoot in America. According to many eyewitnesses, Sasquatch averages around seven feet in height, sometimes taller, sometimes a little shorter, and some say that it gives up to 12 to 14 feet. And that there's supposedly be some kind of different type of creature that looks similar, that's a three-footer, and then there's a one-footer that's kind of human-like. Which could possibly be racist monkeys or something like that. I don't know. Just I just threw that out. I don't know. 
They are usually seen wandering alone, hair covers most of their bodies. Their limbs are usually powerful, but as described as being proportional, more like people than apes, although I've heard otherwise. However, the broad shoulders and short neck, or no neck, uh, flat faces and noses, sloped foreheads and ringed, ridged brows, cone-shaped heads, some, not always though, make them appear more animal-like, and some look more human-like. <clears throat> they reportedly eat both meat and plants, and are largely nocturnal and less active during cold weather. Of course, we don't really know that because we're the ones that are less active in cold weather, so we're not out there observing them. The creatures are most commonly reported as being covered in dark um, auburn-colored hair, although reports of brown, black, and even white and silver hair do occasionally pop up. Footprints left behind by the monsters range in size from 12 to 22, actually, I heard a 24-inch bigger, so, uh, in length, uh, with around 18 inches being the most common. They are normally reported to be somewhere around 7 inches in width, <clears throat> although I haven't... I hear an awful lot of that being a little less than seven inches, but I'm no expert at any of this. The more and more I study this, the more and more all I have is some crazy questions. And I just wonder how much of this has something to do Gee, I hope that doesn't pick up. I'm sorry, but it's hot in my place. Has something to do uh, I don't know. I don't know what it has anything to do. I also want to plug this in. If you can hear the fan, I apologize. I'm trying to do my best here to live in the conditions that I'm under, but that's okay. I mean... Things could be worse, right? That's what they say. The stories of Sasquatch and reported man-like creatures have been part of Northwestern American history for generations, and I would have to rephrase, restate that to say all of America. It's turning out to be. Native American legend and lore is filled with creatures that sound a lot like Bigfoot in description. One such creature is the Wendigo, which, by the way, uh, what was going here? While the creature is considered by many to be a creature of of horror writer, um, Algernon Blackwood, and his classic terror tale of the same name, this spirit was considered very real to many in the north woods and prairies. And that you talk about the northeast all the way through Canada, north, uh, you know, the Great Lakes regions, etc. So it's not just uh, the, you know, the northwest of the Pac West or what they call it, I think. Pacific West. Anyways, blah, 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 blah. many legends and stories have circulated over the years about mysterious creatures who, creature who was encountered by hunters and campers in a shady forest in the upper region of Minnesota. And uh, I've had uh, Dugan, who's one of the guys from Minnesota, swears he saw that. So what do you say about that? One variation of the story, the creature could only be seen if it faced the witness head-on, because it was so thin that it could not be seen from the side. The spirit was said to have a ferocious appetite for human flesh, and many forest dwellers who disappear over the years 
were said to have to be victims of the monster. The American Indians who had their own tales of the Wendigo, dating back as many years that most who were interviewed could remember when the story had not been told. The Inuit Indians of the region called the creature by various names, including Windigo, Wittigo, 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 but each of them was roughly translated to mean the evil spirit that devours mankind. Around 1860, a German explorer translated Windigo to mean cannibal among the tribes along the Great Lakes. Native American versions of the creature spoke of a gigantic spirit over 15 feet tall that had once been human but had been transformed into a creature by the use of magic. Though all the descriptions of the creature vary slightly, the Wendigo is generally said to have glowing eyes, long yellow long yelled fangs, an overly long tongue. Must, most have a shallow yellowish skin. That's not shallow. Sallow. Is it meant to be shallow? It says sallow. Yellowish skin, but others are said to be matted with hair. Then, okay, they are tall and lanky and are driven by a horrible hunger. But how would a person grow to become one of the, these strange creatures? According to lore, the Wendigo is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. In the years past, such a practice was possible. Although still rare, as many uh, as many of the tribes and settlers in the region were cut off by bitter snows and ice in the north woods. Unfortunately, eating another person to survive was sometimes resorted to, and thus the legend of the Wendigo was created. But how real were these creatures? Could the legend of the Wendigo have been? created merely as a warning against cannibalism, or could sightings of Bigfoot-type creatures have created the stories? While this is unknown, it is believed that white settlers to the region took the stories seriously. It became an, enough a part of their culture that tales like those of the of L. L. Gernon Algernon and Blackwood would, were penned. Real-life stories were told as well, and according to the settlers' versions of the legend, the Wendigo would often be seen banshee-like to signal a death of the community. The Wendigo allegedly made a number of appearances near a town called Rossizu, in northern Minnesota. That's Rosu, maybe. It's R-O-S-E-S-U. So Rosu in northern Minnesota from the late 1800s through the 1920s. Each time that it was reported, an unexpected death followed, and finally it was seen no more. Even in the last century, Native Americans actively believed in and searched for the Wendigo. One of the most famous Wendigo hunters was a Cree Indian named Jack Fiddler. <laughs> he claimed to kill at least 14 of these creatures in his lifetime, although the last murder resulted in his imprisonment at the age of 87. In October of 1907, Fiddler and his son Joseph were tried for the murder of a Cree Indian woman. They both pleaded guilty to the crime, but defended themselves by stating that the woman had been possessed by the spirit of a Wendigo and was on the verge of transforming into 
one entirely. According to the defense, she had been killed before she murdered another member of the tribe. Don't know if this is true or not. Don't know. No citations. There are still many stories told of Wintagos that have been seen in northern Ontario and near the cave of a Wintago and around the town of Kenora, or Kenora, where a creature has been spotted by traders, trackers, and trappers for decades. There are many who still believe that the Wendigo roams the woods in the prairies of northern Minnesota and Canada. Whether it seeks human flesh or acts as a as a portent of coming doom is anyone's guess, but before you start to doubt that it exists, remember that the stories and legends of this fearsome creature have been around since before white man walked on these shores. Like all legends, this one too was likely started for a reason. The Yakima Indians of the Pacific Northwest had a tradition of a Kualinmi, which was a devourer of people, and the Hoopa Indians called the man-like beast the Oma, a demon of the wilderness. And I got a feeling that there might be some truth to this demons in the wilderness. Only based on what I'm seeing on these videos. Uh, and and it's, I'm seeing it and it's not being pointed out by the people who are doing the videos, so I don't know. The Nesquela, the Nesquela tribe of the western Washington had the Tsiatuk which was a gigantic hairy beast and the Tenetko was known by the Kesh the Kaska I guess I don't know if I'm pronouncing these names right their creatures were known to dig a hole in the ground like a troglodyte huh? as a place to sleep and would sometimes nap kidnapped women and children. Most of the woodland giants and the lore of the Native Americans seem to be more aggressive than the creatures we know as Bigfoot, but there is little mistaking them for something else. In fact, in 1934, author Diamond Genis reported that the carrier First Nation told of a monster that left enormous footprints in the snow. It had a face like a man, was very tall, and was covered in long hair. This hardly seems to be coincidence when compared to, quote, modern, end quote, versions of Bigfoot. The legend of Bigfoot-type creatures is so marred in the history of America, uh, American the history of American than even the Native American term of the American than the Native American term Sasquatch. It is a bit of an uh, extraction from mythological stories. The folkloric Sasquatch, the word is the Americanized version of the coast Salish Indian term from Canada was introduced to the world in the writings of J.W. Burns, a school teacher at the Chihelis Indian Reservation near Harrison Hot Springs, British Columbia. Burns, Sasquatch, was a legendary figure that he learned of through native informants and was really more man than monster. He was an, an intelligent giant Indian. 
who was endowed with supernatural powers. Somehow, the name managed to stick for the, the huge beings that we would come to call Bigfoot. <clears throat> Historical Bigfoot. In 1901, an account of a Sasquatch encounter appeared in the Daily British Colonist. Gee, that's credible. In this story, a lumberman named Mike King stated that he was working alone on Vancouver Island near uh, Campbell River um, because his Indian packers had refused to accompany him because of their fear of the monkey man, or men, they said lived in the forest. Late in the afternoon, he observed a man-beast, in quotes, washing roots in the river. And when the creature became aware of King, it cried out and ran up a nearby hill. King described it as being, quote, covered with reddish-brown hair. His arms were peculiarly long and were used freely in climbing and brush running while the trail showed a distinct human foot but with phenomenally long and spreading toes three years later in december 14th in 1904 the colonial colonialist again featured sasquatch story this time from four credible witnesses who saw a man-like creature on Vancouver Island in 1907. The newspaper told of the abandonment of an Indian village due to the inhabitants being frightened away by a monkey-like wild man who appears on the beach at night who howls in an unearthly fashion. In July... Who knows? In July 1924, a weird incident involving a giant Bigfoot occurred in Mount St. Helens region in southwest Washington. The incident involved a night-long assault by unknown creatures on a cabin where four miners were staying, and everybody knows this probably by now. The men had been prospecting a claim on the muddy, a branch of the Lewis River, uh, about eight miles from Spirit Lake. While working in the canyon, the men occasionally saw huge footprints, but had no idea what to make of them, really. Then one day, they saw a huge ape-like creature peering out from behind the trees, and one of the men fired his gun at it. The creature was apparently struck by it and ran off. Fred Beck, one of the miners, met one of the monsters at the canyon rim and shot it in the back three times. It fell to the fell down the cliff and into the canyon, but they never found the body. <clears throat> that night, the apes struck back starting an assault on the cabin where the men were staying by knocking a heavy strip of wood out from between two logs of the cabin. Let me just read that again. Uh, okay, the ape, struck, the ape struck back starting an assault on the cabin where the men were staying by knocking a heavy strip of wood out from between two logs of the cabin. After that, there were repeated poundings on the walls, doors, and roofs. Luckily, the cabin had been constructed to withstand heavy mountain snows and apparently Bigfoots. And the creatures were unable to break in. However, they did begin using rocks to hit the roof from above, and the miners became nervous enough to barricade the door. 
I think I would have barricaded the deer before that. As the creatures began thumping around on top of the cabin, as well, battering the walls, the men fired shots through the walls and roof, but to little effect. The noise and the attacks continued until nearly dawn, ending after about five hours. Even though the cabin had no windows and the men could not see what was attacking them, Beck later told Bigfoot researcher John Green that he was sure that more than two creatures had been outside. <clears throat> the incident was more than enough to get the men to pack up and abandon their mind the next day. They told their story when they returned to Keslo, or Kelso, Washington, and a party of men went back to the cabin. Big footprints were found all around it, but no creatures were discovered. There have been sightings in the area since, but none with such uh, dynamic results. The first-hand account, a first-hand account of the event was later written by Fred Beck called I Fought the Ape Man of Mount St. Helens. The area where the event took place was later dubbed Ape Canyon and still is called that today. Right. One of the most bizarre Bigfoot encounters in history also occurred, occurred in 1924. Although it would not be reported until many years later in 1957 <clears throat> it involved a man who claimed to be abducted and held captive by a party of creatures while on a prospecting trip in British Columbia what kind of a crazy fool would do that on his own in British Columbia although such tales seem to stretch the limits of believability those who interviewed the man years later, including esteemed investigator John Green and Ivan T. Sanderson. <clears throat> Ivan T. Sanderson is one of those guys that's a big red flag, just to let you know. Do some little research on him. Did not for a moment doubt his sincerity uh, or his sanity. Prima, prime mythologist. John Napier remarked that the man gave a convincing account which does not ring false in any particular. The same cannot be said for all alleged Bigfoot abductions, though. In 1871, a young girl named Seraphine Long was said to have been kidnapped by a male Bigfoot and she was taken to a cave and held prisoner for a year. She eventually got back, got sick, and so her captor allowed her to leave. However, when she returned home, it was discovered that she was carrying the creature's baby. She gave birth to a child, but it only lived a few days. And of course, that was the story. The reader is asked to judge the validity of it for himself. But I have to confess that I have my doubts about this one. However, it's tough to feel the same way about the ordeal of Albert Ostman, Ostman who was prospecting for gold near Tuba Inlet in British Columbia in the summer of uh, 1924. He claimed that he was abducted by Bigfoot, but his detailed account of the creature's habits and activities remain unique to this day, leading many to wonder if perhaps he was telling the truth after all. Tuba Inlet in British Columbia was a secluded wilderness in 1924 when Albert Osman decided to visit there during a much-needed vacation. <laughs> uh, 
the construction worker, and Lumberjack liked to prospect for gold as a hobby, in addition to doing some hunting and vacation. So I can tell you something, folks. There's some kind of hint here, a little correlation. If you want to have increase your opportunities of seeing a Bigfoot, maybe you should get involved in gold prospecting. And there's places throughout the country where you can do that. Usually, gold prospecting, they usually waters involved. Something to think about. Just something to think about. Well, being a construction worker and a lumberjack would be quite taxing on any man. And who knows? Each man to his own. Some men would like to go to a brothel for the week, and some men want to go to the woods for a week. And, and other men want to go visit their family, and other men want to go sightseeing. I don't know. Everyone teaches to their own, right? Like prospect, like to prosper for gold as a hobby in addition to doing some hunting and fishing. He planned to search for a legendary lost gold mine that was rumored to be in the area. Uh, Osman hired an Indian guide to take him to the head of the inlet. On the way, the Indian told him about a white man who used to come out of the area laden with gold. When Osman asked the guide what happened to the man, the guide replied that he had disappeared and had probably been killed by Sasquatch. Osman scoffed at the story, not believing a word of, of this tall tale. When they reached the inlet, the guide helped Osman to set up his base camp and then departed. Osman had paid him to return in three weeks. For the first week or so, he hunted and fished a little for food and spent quite a bit of time hiking in the woods and searching for any trace of lost mines. Of lost, of the lost mine. He was quite casual about the search, though, enjoying the outdoors and the freedom, anyway, from his work. Then one day he returned to the camp to find that his gear had been disturbed. Nothing was missing, but it all had been moved around. Osman assumed that a porcupine or some small animal had been looking for food. He tried to stay awake for two nights to try and catch the annoying animal, but each time he fell asleep. On both mornings, when he awoke, he discovered the food was missing from his pack. <clears throat> well, trying to stay awake after uh, two nights, um, and such harsh conditions could make you a little, well, can make you hallucinate. Saying it happened. Saying that sleep deprivation will screw with your head. I'm not saying that this did not happen. I'm just saying that's something to think about. He first assumed that he had. Uh, okay. Osman awoke to find that it had. His been picked up, still inside. Okay, yeah. Despite the, uh, okay. Now irritated and determined to trap the culprit, he loaded his rifle and shoved it down his sleeping bag with his clothes and so on. November, am I skipping something here? Uh, annoying animal each time he fell asleep both mornings he woke and he discovered that the food was missing from his pack now irritated and determined to trap the culprit he loaded his rifle and shoved it down his sleeping bag with his clothes and some of his personal belongings <clears throat> he planned to stay awake the entire night and drive off the pesky animal despite his intentions though Osman fell asleep, of course, 
Later on that night, still half asleep, Osman awoke to find that he had been picked up. Still inside his sleeping bag, and was being carried through the woods. He first assumed that he had been tied and thrown over the back of a horse, but then realized that he was pinned into his sleeping bag by two large arms. Unable to reach his rifle, or even his knife, he was trapped in the the bedroll. There was no sound but utterings of breath from the figure who carried him and the sound of powerful feet trudging through the forest and an occasional rattle of a frying pan and canned food in Osman's pack, which the giant had also picked up from the camp. Osman traveled for several hours and estimated that he had journeyed about 30 miles inland. At the end of this time, he was dumped onto the ground and he slowly crawled out of the bag in the darkness. His whole body ached from the trip and as he was trying to massage some feeling back in his legs, the sun came up and the prospector got his first good look and his abductors. Squinting nearby were or squatting nearby were four hairy giants, the same type of creatures that had been discovered or described to Osman by the Indian guide. They sat there looking at Osman with curiosity, but did not seem threatening in the least. The two older creatures were male and female, and the two younger ones were also both sexes. The oldest male stood near nearly eight feet tall and weighed an estimated 750 pounds, and the oldest female was slightly smaller and had large hanging breasts. The younger creatures were of smaller portions than the uh, Osman assumed were the parents, and the younger female had no breasts. All four of the Bigfoot had coarse, dark hair that covered their bodies. Osman later recounted that the older female seemed to object to his presence during the first day of his captivity. She chattered and grunted at the male, but eventually he seemed to win the day and was allowed to keep Osman around. The two females avoided him as much as possible, spending their time hunting for roots, nuts, and berries. The two male creatures were curious about everything the prospector did and found the contents of Osman's pack and sleeping bag to be quite fascinating. He had with him his food, his rifle, a new pot and pans, pot and pans, and his knife. They often looked at these items, but never touched them. Although the oldest creature was very interested in Austin, Austin's snuff box and its contents, this keen interest would eventually prove to be integral in Ostman's escape. Two days into his captivity, Osman tried to run away. The Sasquatch lived in a small 10-acre basin in a 10-acre in a small 10-acre basin that was cut between two cliff walls. A narrow break in the rocks provided the only entrance. When Osman tried to slip out of the valley, the oldest male quickly caught him and pulled him back to the basin or into the basin. He considered using his rifle, trying to shoot him away, uh, way, his way out, but knew that if he did not kill the creature with the first couple shots, the beast would surely tear him apart. After six days, Osman had another idea. He was becoming interestingly nervous of the creature because 
he was starting to get the impression that he had been captured in order to provide a mate for the younger female. Not wanting to spend the rest of his life in captivity, he began working on a plan to break free. He knew that the older Bigfoot was very interested in his chewing tobacco. And each day he gave the creature a small amount of it to chew on. He wondered if this might be a way to use the Bigfoot's love of the snuff to his advantage. On the morning of the 7th, Osmond made a a fire for the first time since he had arrived. He decided to make some coffee, which interested the two male Bigfoot. As he was eating his breakfast and dinner from a tin of coffee, he decided to try out his idea. He reached over and offered the older Bigfoot some of his snuff. He held on tightly to the box so that the creature could only take a small amount, which irritated him. He jerked the box away, uh, box from Osman's hand, and proceeded to devour the entire contents of it. He liked the taste so much that he literally licked clean the inside of the container. It only took a few moments for the Bigfoot to become violently ill, retching and coughing. The creature ran towards the stream and collapsed on all fours. At the same time, Osman grabbed his rifle and his pack and began to run. He shot towards the narrow entrance, but his escape attempt was noticed by the older female, who set off after him. He made it to the gap of the rock just seconds before she caught up with him. Turning quickly, he fired a shot over her head. The creature stopped in her tracks and let out a a squall or squall. But she did not pursue him any further. Using his compass... Osmond managed to make his way back to civilization. After three days, he met upon with a party of lumberjacks and told them that he had been gotten lost while prospecting. He was sure that no one would ever believe his account of what really happened, and he remained silent for 30 years, only telling the story in 1957. What a burden to carry for 30 years, huh? Although Osman has long since passed away, Bigfoot researcher John Green knew him for more than 12 years and questioned him extensively about his captivity. He had no reason to consider him a liar, and neither did the police officers and primate experts and zoologists who all looked into his account. For this reason, we have only the option to consider his story, no matter how bizarre, to be true, or most likely true, right? There's always the possibility, right? But, of course, that remains up to the reader to decide. Of course. Sasquatch sightings and encounters continue and were occasionally mentioned in mostly Canadian newspaper accounts. Bigfoot did not enter the American mainstream until uh, 1958 when the now infamous tracks were discovered at Bluff Creek. This was the time when the giant creature entered the mainstream but American fascination with Bigfoot was only beginning. Through the remainder of the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, interest in these elusive creatures reached its high point. After a cooling down period of about two decades, 
when only Bigfoot hunters and diehard enthusiasts are seeking information about Sasquatch, public interest is again on a rise. Now, new attention has been given to some of the evidence that has been collected for the creature's existence, including plaster casts of footprints, possible fear photographs and film. Let's take a look at some of the evidence, and the reader can judge for himself how credible much of it actually is. And I say bunk to science. The religion of scientism is just that. Yes, there have been many things that have been proven, but there have been many things that uh, have been concealed through scientism. It is a religion, the high priest of scientism. You do not need to have credentialed, degreed, uh, generally, a lot of times also, cohorts with the CIA, the FBI, and other alphabet agencies that are not out there for your best interest. You can be your own scientist. And as far as proving any of this to anybody, I don't know. Especially if there's a spiritual aspect to it, as the Native Americans say there is. Um, uh, yeah. Now there's a whole other dimension. Unfortunately, scientism can only take man so far. And then it becomes a, a charade and a farce. They're going to try to tell you that it went to the moon. Yet nothing out there substantiates that. And many of the people who are a part of the religion of scientism will insist that. Many of the people who are representatives of the religion of scientism will say that evolution is absolute. Now, I will inform you of one thing. There's nowhere that anybody ever said that man came from monkeys. There's no solid information, solid, credible information that you could do on your own as far as most things they call dinosaurs. Cosmology cannot be backed. It's all theory, folks, even to this day. It's all theory. Now, a lot of people argue, say, it's the best thing that we got. That doesn't mean it's any good. It just means it's the best thing we got. And and people are not encouraged to look into alternative viewpoints. It's only later on in your life, after you break away, for, hopefully, from the public school system, from the church, and from higher education, and you start thinking for yourselves, that you might scratch your head and say, well, maybe if things could be different. And I, for one, am allowed to insult the science community and the religious community and even the Bigfoot community because I don't belong to any of it. Uh-huh. Nor do I desire to. All I want to know is the truth about my reality. What and why and who and how and, how and all of this come about in this life that we live. This existence, this plane of existence. And it's, you can read as many books as you want especially when it comes to certain elements of scientism, in particular cosmology, uh, the heliocentric model, the globe theory, the uh, thing about, you know, the dinosaurs, the dinosaur wars, the bone wars, the need for the creation of the dinosaurs, Or the need for all that. I'll tell you what it ultimately comes down to is control, mind control. 
that it, certain groups of men who conform because of their credentials and because of their quote-unquote findings, which you'll find out if you do your own research, that credible, the top uh, publications out there when it comes to uh, uh, peer-reviewed st- uh, studies, that over half of them are fraudulent and made up. So you're really making a mistake if you think that you can count on people uh, with quote-unquote credentials. There's a guy out there right now who's all happy and excited. He's had a supposedly a film crew and a and a guy and a and a, uh, and a cameraman. And if there's anything there, and even if there isn't anything there, they're going to exploit that poor guy to the hilt and make him look like the biggest freak that ever was. I reassure you that. They'll promise otherwise, as they always have, as they always do, but there's nothing like turning someone into a freak show. There's a lot of money in it. Okay, back to the Patterson film. By the decade of 1960s, Bigfoot had become firmly entrenched in the imaginations of Americans. Thanks to the CIA-controlled media. Remember that. And the only reason why anybody saw that is because the government wanted you to see that. And if you would understand that the government, quote-unquote, was an instrument for the oligarchy and the ruling class, and that they are at war with you, and they're not the least interested in telling you the truth about anything... You must take that in consideration. You must take in consideration that when it came in 1967, along with the Minnesota man, it's the same year, which we're now reading about also in the uh, weird seeds inside the canyon, Laurel Canyon, with the creation of uh, uh, the quote-unquote music icons, the hippie icons of the 60s. and this uh, cultural warfare that's been going on and has always been going on with the common people. The common people are basically anybody that doesn't have any clout, that doesn't have any certain bloodline. And even if you do have the bloodline, it doesn't protect you. There's a lot of vultures out there and a lot of liars. Now, am I saying that the Patterson film is fake? No. I think that MK has convinced me that it's not fake. The question is, why was it allowed to happen and to be revealed in 1967 when we know that the anti-war movement was going on? We had the incident in Kent State, which most likely was a staged event in itself. the ramping up of uh, covert operations and PSYOP operations in this time period against the people of the United States. I mean, uh, it's a very difficult task that these uh, people have to control your minds and to convince you that uh, you might know something. Now, I'm not saying for a minute that there's not people out seeing creatures out there, and I'm also not saying that there's people out there not seeing other things from the other side. And it seems to me that these creatures seem to have spiritual companions from some of the videos that I've been looking at and trying to sketch out. And, I was, and they can call it pareidolia all I want. 
but I'm sorry when you see different heads and faces and they don't look like the creature itself. Either uh, it's a wonderful art project from one of the many art programs and the universities out there that are connected with the CIA and the military to mine of us, or as people have been saying for thousands and thousands of years, there's a spiritual realm, and most of it is not good, but evil. And that evil seems to infest us, and the only thing I know at this point that actually helps is calling out the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm not a Jesus freak. This is just based on my experience. I'll be the biggest critic you ever find when it comes to the Bible, Christianity, and everything else. I have no idea what it is about calling out the name of Jesus Christ when you have spiritual attacks, but that seems to be the case. It's that to total, and it's my own personal experience. I'm not telling you that you're supposed to believe in it at all. But you might consider that is at least a final defense against the uh, spiritual warfare that we're all going through. This allows us to be in the slave state that you're in. And any one of you that says you're not a slave, you got your head up your ass. And you need to wake up. And that might be actually more important than Bigfoot. But let's face it. The fascinating mystery that it has... Um, uh, I feel severe consequences... on us and this plane of existence that goes beyond the creature itself. Remember, just as human beings can be infested with archons or evil spirits or demons, so can other animate objects and inanimate objects, apparently. Oh, do I want to read the Patterson thing again? I really don't want to read it again. Uh, we've gone over so many times on my show. If you want to, just listen to all the stuff with uh, me and uh, um, M.K. Davis. Well, I, I have the utmost respect for I think this would be quite a good, probably a good spot to stop. I've gone into about an hour. Prince, hairs, and recordings. La, ja, 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 ja. Bigfoot hunters. Blah, 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 blah. There's something about America. It really is. As in all places, all cultures, which is a reflection of the world as a whole that there is some kind of uh, dark spirit that envelops us, that allows us to be enslaved to the uh, usury system. Um, think about uh, Creature of Jekyll Isle Island. I strongly recommend you read that. Uh, think about um, how you've been lied to about everything. How people are focused on actors and performers and puppets in the political system that you have no business even being involved in. It's a good escape, isn't it? How many of us walking around right now angry as hell, fuses, super short, given the right opportunity would end up doing something that, uh, well, 
most were considered to be evil and regretful. And I think the next thing that I'll do, as far as prior to uh, or around, um, is we'll talk about cannibals in North America because there seems to be a connection with cannibalism and demon possession or some kind of alteration of the human chemistry that that makes you even more whacked out than you probably already were. You're probably better off shooting yourself in the head than to starve to death. Just my opinion. All of it is just my opinion. I don't think we've got accomplished what is Bigfoot. Have we even got to that point yet? See, this is the thing about this whole journey about Bigfoot. Is like, uh, you keep asking the question, what is Bigfoot? And, well, you know, nobody knows. <laughs> is it an ape? Is it humanoid? Is it something this or that? Is what is it? I don't know. Is it another dead end situation? Is it strictly just a, a psyops? Could the psyops include the creation of uh, these beings? Was there a certain spiritual technology that has been learned from the ancient? Uh, 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 Native Americans and the shamans and the witch doctors. Do you really want to see a Bigfoot? 